Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. Happy 2021, creeps. Welcome to the new year. As I record this, I'm still in the thralls of holiday vacation, but as you are hearing this now, some of you at least have gone back to work or school. Creeps, today I would like to present our second holiday double feature, despite the fact that for most of you, the holidays are already over. Next week we will be returning to our regular programming with an absolutely horrifying tale which will make your jaw drop in disgust and horror alike. Our double feature program today, much as last week, will consist of two 911 calls and the stories surrounding them. These 911 calls were posted on our Patreon exclusive show, which will be receiving a second season sometime in the first quarter of 2021. In our first featured 911 call, we will examine a mother who does the unspeakable to her own child and how a neglect of mental health and drug abuse led her there. In our second 911 call, we take a look at a couple with a perfect life. But is it merely an illusion? Now, without keeping you creeps from today's tales any longer, please enjoy the second and final special holiday double feature. 911. 911. 911. Address of your emergency. Where's your emergency? Where's your emergency? Hey creeps, welcome to 911 Calls with Cole. Each episode, we will listen to a 911 call and explore the stories and crimes surrounding them. Now, before we get started, check the front door. Is it locked? Okay, good. Now you can relax and sit back as I tell you about Audie Sanchez, the woman who ate her baby. Failure is something every single one of us creeps on this planet has experienced. It's how we learn. We often can't learn without first finding out what doesn't work, and by a system of elimination come to the answer. And lately, we've seen failures on many fronts. Failures of government, failures of society, but one part of society, one part of our social systems to ensure the health and well-being of our societies as a whole has been failing for far too long without learning anything. We don't recognize or help those with mental illness early enough. And we as creeps who partake in true crime don't speak about the consequences of failing to help those with serious mental health issues nearly enough given how prevalent it is in true crime, and how dire the consequences of that negligence is. Audie Sanchez first tried drugs in 2006, which usually isn't a good idea, but in Audie's case was exponentially more destructive, as for half a decade she'd been an on-again, off-again residence of mental institutions, having been diagnosed with multiple forms of psychosis. And in fact, Audie had an extensive history with mental illness, but when she tried drugs, things got much, much worse. 
Audie Sanchez started hearing voices. It took a while, but in 2008, Audie managed to move to Austin, Texas in an attempt to get psychiatric help. This was a direct result of the last two years of self-medicating with drugs, which Audie quickly discovered wasn't helping her, but instead making her life much, much worse. But when she moved to Austin, Texas in 2008, Audie actually managed to finally be hospitalized again and diagnosed with psychosis. With mental health, there isn't a cure-all. In fact, there usually isn't a cure at all. There are only coping mechanisms, and one coping mechanism available in our modern society is prescription. And after some trial and error, Audie's medication changed, and with the change came the stop to the voices in her head. The relief of no longer hearing whispers and shouts, the schizophrenic hammering on the inside of her head, must have been a life-changing relief. But the relief was short-lived. The medication was expensive, very expensive, and Audie couldn't afford it. And as Audie Sanchez discontinued the use of her medication due to her inability to afford it, she also happened to get pregnant maybe afraid of what medication would do to her unborn child, or perhaps due to the financial strain like before, she declined any medication, including samples given to her by a counselor after Audie sought help for her depression. And oftentimes it's easy to think, if I only had that, or if only things weren't a certain way, I could be happy. It's the same for those without mental illness, but is felt more intensely by those dealing with depression or other forms of mental illness. So no one could blame Audie or her family for the thought that perhaps maybe this would make her happy. Perhaps this baby would give her direction and purpose. It's no different than the idea that you and I would be prone to seeing a loved one going through similar circumstances. But a few months later, Audie gave birth to her baby son, Scott, who was perfectly healthy, which is the ultimate wish of any new mother. But despite that, and despite the hope she and her family both had about the new baby and the change it might bring to her life, Audie Sanchez just fell deeper and deeper into the quagmire which is depression. And then things escalated. On July 20th, 2009, Audie was rushed to Austin Methodist Hospital. She was no longer suffering from depression, but was instead plagued with auditory and visual hallucinations, as well as delusions. Audie Sanchez begged to be admitted to the hospital's 31-bed inpatient psychiatric unit, telling them of the voices, telling them her son's face was changing and morphing in horrific and terrifying ways. But like many before her, and many after her, seeking help just like Audie, she was instead discharged into the care of her sister. Maybe this moment, maybe this failure played a part in the increasing paranoia she started to feel. Or maybe it was the psychosis that was left untreated and unchecked, but all the same, for the sake of her newborn son, she tried as best she could to manage the situation and would bring Scott, her son, to her sister when she wasn't feeling quite right. And when her sister thought she was fine and rational once more, she would have her son return to her. But one night, while the rest of Audie Sanchez's family slept, Audie started to hear the voices again. 
In the morning, Audie's sister woke to sounds of primal screaming echoing through the home, shaking the walls and sending sheets of terrified shivers down her back. And when she went to go see what was the matter, well, Audie's sister quickly called 911. Hello? Hello? Tell me what's going on. Don't talk my, to the other people. Talk to me. My sister has... She's hurt her child. Seriously, you hurt her child. How did she do that? What's the, going on with the child? The baby is dead. She has... What did you say? The baby is dead.
police responded to the call, not quite prepared for what they were about to see. There was no way they could have been prepared. There was nothing in the world that could steal a normal person's heart and mind against what they came across. As police entered, they heard the horrible screams of a mother in unimaginable pain screaming over and over, I killed my baby. I killed my baby. Audie sat on the couch with a self-inflicted stab wound on her chest, and she had tried to take a knife to her neck, unsuccessfully only partially slashing her throat. The scene was largely too horrible for words or any description I'd be comfortable giving. But in short, Audie had decapitated her baby boy, Scott, and had eaten part of his brains. She had also consumed other parts of his body, including three tiny toes. Audie later told investigators that she heard the voices, pestering her, whispering, screaming, demanding she kill her child. He was the apocalypse. He had to die. She had to kill him. She must kill him. Not only did she need to kill him, she needed to eat him. Eat him to stop the demon in her stomach from possessing her. Eat her only child, her newborn baby. That was the only way to remove the demon from her stomach. Kill him. Eat him. Audie was found not guilty by reasons of insanity and was sentenced to be held in a mental institution until the point that she was no longer thought to be a danger to herself or others. Finally, Audie would receive the help she needed, but far too late, and all the worse for it. Ironically though, the police who attended the scene would also seek psychological help in the aftermath, but unlike Audie Sanchez, they had no problem getting the help they needed. That's it for this episode of 911 Calls with Cole. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I hope you never find yourself in a position where you are unable to get the mental help that you need. And I hope if you know anyone who is going through mental health issues, that you extend empathy and try to help in any way that you can. Have some feedback? Feel free to tweet at me at Tales by Cole or by visiting our Facebook group by searching Tales by Cole Podcast Discussion Group. Thanks for tuning in. Stay healthy, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors. Hey creeps, welcome to 911 Calls with Cole. Each episode, we will listen to a 911 call and explore the stories and crimes surrounding them. Now, before we get started, check the front door. Is it locked? Okay, good. Now you can relax and sit back as I tell you about David Pomfret. 51-year-old David Pomfret and his wife, 49-year-old Anne Marie, lived what appeared to many to be a picturesque life in the quaint town of Warrington, Cheshire, England. The lush and tree-lined roads of their street was the stuff of suburban dreams, and they even owned stables a short distance away, where their horses were boarded, of course. David had worked his entire life, grinding and climbing the staircase of success, and that had allowed him to spoil not only his wife with her horses, which she had a deep passion for, 
but it also allowed David Pomfret to spoil his 18-year-old daughter Megan and provide her with things he never had growing up. But one day, all that work, all that perseverance, all that effort went spinning violently down the drain. On November 2nd, 2019, on Maysfield Avenue in Winwick, where the Pomfrets lived, David noticed his wife had been gone for an unusual length of time. Anne-Marie had gone to the Pomfret-owned stables, which were situated only four miles from her home, supposedly to go check on her horses briefly. But as the seconds and minutes ticked by, David Pomfret became mildly alarmed and worried for his wife. David pulled out his phone, thinking better safe than sorry, and typed his wife a series of texts. Where are you getting worried? Is it the horses? Bringing torches. David grabbed his keys and walked with purpose out to his vehicle to go check on his wife. But when David turned the ignition of his vehicle, he had absolutely no clue what he was driving towards. Upon arriving, David exited his vehicle and walked into the stables. He'd come to check on his wife, but instead of seeing Anne-Marie tending obsessively to the horses like he'd seen so many times before, instead he found Anne-Marie, his wife, lying in a dark pool of her own blood and spilt brains. David Pomfret then called 911. Ambulance service is a patient breathing. Nottingham County, Baltimore Motor Road, request for ambulance and fire. Ambulance and fire. Police, not, not fire, not fire, police. Ambulance and police, sorry. Please, the patient away. No, he's, okay. he's very dead. Okay, tell me exactly what's blood. happened. Um, uh, my wife came out to the stables uh, a couple of hours ago. Um, I've not been able to get her on the phone. I've just come down to the stables. She's lying on the floor in a pool of blood. Um, got... who, who, who is this lying on the it's, floor? It's my wife. Okay, okay. We're getting that help for oh, you now. We don't have an actual address for the stables. Okay. Do it's you... old. Sorry, go on. No, go on. I've got on the address. The old Alder Lane. Alder Lane, is that uh, A-L-D-E-R? Old. Old, older lane. Okay, have you got a postcode? Um, I think the nearest one's the pub. Um, sit on the back pub, uh, WA5, yep. or BJ. Oh, Jesus. Okay, just try and pick up. What's your name? David, David Pomfret. David, okay, we're going to get that help for you. Oh, try Christ. and stay calm for me, David, okay. <gasps> so I've got older lane in Burtonwood. So old, old, older lane, old, not older lane. Old, older lane in Burtonwood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, we're getting that help to you now, okay. Please. Um, oh, Christ. And whereabouts on Old Alder Lane? What's this stables called? Is it the old stables? Um, no. Um, it's, it's the other side of the road to that. It's, it's near the pub. Um, and what's it called? Oh, it's just we, we, we don't have a name. It's just the stables. We don't. We don't. We've, we don't know. We've not named it. It's, it's not got a name. Okay. No. Oh Christ. Oh, what does it look like? Go. What are they looking for when they come down that road? There's two cars parked in the road. Mine and my wife's. Mine, mine's slightly in the road because the car's blocking the, the gate. 
Okay. Okay. We're getting that help to you as quickly as we can, David. Just stay calm for me, okay? Okay. Now, I'm going to need to ask you some questions. This is not going to delay any help, okay? Okay. How old Please. is she? She's... She's 50 this month. She's 23rd November. She's 50. So she's 49. 49. She's 49. Okay. All right. Are you with her now? I'm here. Yeah. Okay. Oh, gosh. I can't go closer. I can't go near her. Okay, David. Try and stay calm. You're doing really well for me, okay? Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm going to tell my daughter. David, try and stay calm for me, okay? You're doing a really good job. Now, David, please tell me why it looks like she's dead. Oh, I'm on the floor, the pool of blood. There's a bracer everywhere. It looks like she has her head beaming. David, sorry, tell me that again. There's what everywhere? Brains and blood. Oh, God. Okay. David, we're getting that help with you as quickly as we can. Uh, I'm going to cut the lights out. David, just try and stay calm. We're getting that help to you as quickly as we can, okay? okay? Oh, Jesus. Oh. Oh. David, when did you last see you? Uh, uh. Oh, Christ, what time is it now? It's about... What time is it? About half nine? Is it, um, it's about ten to ten now. Is it today that you saw oh, her? Oh, Yeah. Yeah? Um, I can't think of the time. Okay. Uh, oh, right. don't carry a watch. It was about... An hour and a half, two hours ago. About two hours we'd, ago. Yeah, we'd been shopping, Doctor Doctor, I've been shopping. Um, had some tea, and the missus said she'd forgotten something, so she came down to the stables. I walked the dog, did a bit of DIY, and okay. started phoning her. She was so late, and I knew she'd, she carries two phones. So I started phoning the phone that she got, a little, it's a little old one. Uh, Oh, Jesus. Okay, David. She just wasn't answering, so I've come down. Okay, David. I thought she got trouble with the horses. David, do you know what's happened to her? I have no idea. She's just lying on the floor. Police quickly arrived to the scene, and their initial suspicion fell immediately on David. Of course, usually the husband or someone close to the victim is responsible, and based on this assumption, police arrested David Pomfret but then he was eventually released on bail. When the finger was pointed at David, he made a statement which in 2020 hindsight was extremely foreboding and filled with irony. David said, One of Anne Marie's favorite TV shows was CSI, and one of the things they always said was you can't get rid of the blood. Well, as I just said, this was ironic. And that's because four months after the murder, police were able to link David Pomfret to the scene of the crime. How did they manage this? Well, investigators found traces of Anne-Marie's airborne, aspirated blood on a pair of David's socks he had presumably worn at the time of the murder. When investigators took this new evidence to David and his lawyer, well, David quickly changed his tune. David fully admitted to murdering his wife, but stated that it was, in fact, not murder, citing the reason as a temporary loss of control. In other words, a passion killing. David Pomfret's trial lasted 10 long days, 
And during that time, the jury, as well as the public, came to learn exactly why and how David justified murdering his wife. Alongside a tearful admission to the jury, where David stated, I killed my wife, David Pomfret divulged his dirty secrets and aired them for the world to see. His wife of 22 years, Anne-Marie, who showed signs of Asperger's syndrome and fell somewhere on the autism spectrum, had been deteriorating mentally and physically over the years they had been together. And then she'd been diagnosed with cancer. His statement to the court was that his wife was a fiery and volatile woman who would verbally and physically abuse both himself and their 18-year-old daughter when she'd get into fits of rage. Other than leaving the situation, walking to another room, or if followed, leaving the house, there was no other way to escape the throwing of objects and her screaming. David testified that she ranted at me for being a bad parent, calling me absolutely useless, called me limp and useless. David remembered getting to the stable and talking with his wife. He remembered those words spoken to him by her, and the next thing David Pomfret knew, he was grabbing Anne-Marie's hood, and then nothing. That's all he remembered. We can assume that when David came to, he was panicking, coming to the concrete realization of what it was that he had done. He quickly washed his hands, threw the crowbar which he had spilt her blood and brains with, into a pond, and burned all of his clothing in an incinerator before returning home. That's when he sent his checkup text, and then headed to the stable once more to make his faked 911 call. Judge David Aubrey frankly couldn't have cared any less for what at this point only seemed like lip service. The tears, the apologies, the act of remorse. Well, Judge Aubrey had no issues with letting David know how much he detested this act of his by accusing David of being an accomplished liar. Judge David Aubrey said during sentencing, Mrs. Pomfret had defensive injuries to both her hands. She must have been pleading and begging for you to stop. You had had enough of her, saw the opportunity that presented itself that night to kill her, and did so. David Pomfret would have gotten away with it, gotten off scot-free, and only he would have known what it was that he had done. That is, if it weren't for the fact that David Pomfret forgot to change his socks. That's it for this episode of 911 Calls with Cole. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I hope you never get so mad you commit acts you can never take back. Have some feedback? Feel free to tweet at me at Tales by Cole or by visiting our Facebook group by searching Tales by Cole Podcast Discussion Group. Thanks for tuning in. Good night. Stay healthy. Stay safe. And don't forget to lock the doors.